0: Well, it's good to see everyone today, and uh, I wanted to get this map out again. I don't know if my, since we're talking about a missionary journey, I'll bring this over here, and now I have the flexibility of having a wireless mic, so that works out well too. So um, let me put this off to the side. I really enjoy studying. You probably can tell that, but I really enjoy studying a lot. And um, I want to open with prayer. I know we just finished the prayer. I want to open with prayer before we, we begin this sermon. Lord, your word says, how does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to thy word. Lord, we want to live according to your word. Lord, I just pray that the words that are said today would just be words that you have put upon my heart, that, Lord, we just want to exalt Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that all scripture is God-breathed, that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit who moved men who wrote this. and. This is a sacred book. It's inerrant, it's infallible, it's, it's truth, it's authoritative, and we, uh, this is our playbook for life, and we're thankful for your word. Lord, I pray that your word would be not just for head knowledge, but Lord, it would be appropriated into our lives, and we would live your word in, in this world, that people would bring honor and glory to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can see the main points today. We have a a story. The story continues. And what we have is there are three discussion points that are going on. First, we have there is a dispute. And then we have there is a discussion. And then we have a decision. And um, I wanted to give you a little bit of background before we begin. But the main idea, when I look at a passage of Scripture... As you know, I uh, was going through my Bible courses when you take a look at, you say, what is, the, what is the author trying to convey to the original audience that was there? And so I'm looking and studying. I, I saw a lot of different sermons after I had come up with mine. I always like to try to do mine first and then look at what some of the commentaries say and then look at some of the different Ways that people like look at this. And some people have said, you know, this is a great way. I'm not saying this isn't. I mean, this is a good example of how to look at conflict maybe within a church and then and how you resolve that. And I was looking at that, I said, you know, that's probably true that they did that, but is that the main idea? I mean you're sort of looking at what's happening what do you observe and you're asking yourself questions as you go along and you're saying what in this literary unit what's the subject at you know what's the complement to that and so on and so my thought i saw two key verses was this it one is in verse 9 where it says um, All this, read it. It says, He did not discriminate between them and us, for He purified their hearts by faith. Okay? So there's something to do with that. And then in verse 11 it says, No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. And so this question, the subject was, how is a person saved? I mean, that's what they're talking about. How is a person saved? And then there's something that came in, this idea of bringing this... Uh, this aspect of Judaism, like circumcision or following the law, that was brought there as well. But then, so the, the way to answer that question is, a person is saved. So when I look at this, it's like, how is a person saved? And it says, a person is saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's it. That's how it's saved. And so this is what I feel is they're trying to, the authors trying to bring across So the title of this sermon is called Stand on the Truth. Stand on the Truth. Now, Pontius Pilate, if you remember, he uh, asked this question. He goes like, what is truth? And then Jesus talks about, you know, he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father but by me. And in, in John 3rd John 1.4 it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. There's something about you know this idea of truth that Paul and Barnabas, after they heard what the the some men had come down from Judea, they were in sharp dispute for what was going on. So let me give you a little background. So it's about 46 A.D. Paul and Barnabas are over here in Antioch, Syria, right here. They go on their first missionary journey. They're there somewhere between a year and a half and two years. They go to Cyprus first, and then after that, they come up into the lower part of Turkey that you see right here, and they go through these towns. There's another Antioch there, but there's an Antioch in Pisidia, Pisidia, Antioch. Then they go to Iconium, they go to Lystra, they go to Derby. they have lots of different one of the things that's happening there is there's an explosion of people coming to Christ. The Gentiles are coming to Christ, right? And so And you imagine some of the hardship that Paul went through as well. Remember, he, gave, he preached a message in the synagogue in Antioch, and then all of a sudden he goes out, some people wanted to hear later on, but the, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, ran him out of town. He goes to uh, Iconium. He does the same thing. There's a synagogue there. It says there's his customary. He went there as well. And again, I mean, they said that they were wanted to, to stone him, but he left there and he goes to Lystra. Remember in Lystra what was going on is that they go to Lystra and then he sees a person that's a cripple. He preaches the gospel. The cripple saw that he um, had... The faith or the Paul saw that he had the faith to be saved to be healed, he was healed, and he was just like had Peter done when uh, when John was with him in the courtyard there was a crippled that was healed and said that he was leaping and praising God, and so remember they took him out of that said he was stoned and remember then he went back in he went to Derby more people there 's lots and lots of people coming to know Jesus right from a pagan community, pagan area. So then, instead of going back through this pass right here, the Cilician Gate, he goes back through, encourages the brethren, comes back around, and they come back to Antioch, and now it's about 48 um, A.D. or so. So traditionally, we look at uh, the, the Council of Jerusalem is about 49 A.D., somewhere in that area. So one of the things I also wanted to share with you, I think it's important, this idea of standing on truth. So John Huss, I don't know if you heard of the Hussites before, the Morovians, um, because they came, they sort of originated, they came out of this, uh, the followers of John Huss. But he was burned at the stake. And there's some of the things that I really liked about John Huss. He was an early reformer. He, he, will, he uh, it was about oh, probably a hundred years or before, before Martin Luther, but some of the stands that he made, he held that the Bible had, uh, alone had authority for doctrine and not the church. He believed that he held that Christ alone grants salvation and not the popes or the councils. And he's quoted as, as saying this, this idea of truth, because that's what I really want to focus on today is this idea of truth, standing for truth. He said, seek the truth. Listen to the truth, love the truth, abide in the truth, defend the truth unto death. And before his death, he said this, God is my witness that the evidence against me is false. I have never thought nor preached except with one intention of winning men, possibly from their sins. Today I will gladly die. The fire was lit, the flames engulfed him, and Huss began to sing in Latin the Christian chant, Christ, thou art the living God, have mercy on me. So the question is this. This is where we're at. You can see what's happening is that they've made this first missionary trip. There are lots of people that are coming to be saved. And the ones that are coming to be saved, a lot of them are Gentiles. And so they come back to uh, Antioch and let's see what happens. So it says, some men came down from Judea. I actually want to start in verse 27 of of chapter 14. It says, on arriving there, on arriving to Antioch, Syria, they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith, how God had opened the door of faith, how he had. And I think that's important, the emphasis on that to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples, some men now, so some men came down from Judea, you're probably asking why does it say they came down, well if you want, Judea is up in the hills, I mean they literally came down, so they came down to Antioch where they were teaching the brothers, like what are they teaching the brothers, well, they're teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom law, the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That was the big issue. That's the, that's the a big idea that's here. How are you saved? Well, what are some things that the Judaizers were thinking about? Well, it could have been this. It says it could be tradition. You know, this is the way. We were given the law. You know, Moses gave us the law. You know, God has led us out of Egypt. I mean, we've all, there's, there's tradition there. Also, I can see this. I mean, what Paul, what they were teaching now is that it's grace is saved through faith. You mean you don't have to do anything? How many times does people want to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ? You have to do this. You have to do this. You're saved by faith through, uh, saved, by, saved by grace through faith. And so they want to add to it. And it's another thing is that it could be this idea of like maintaining some kind of control as well. Because you could see, I mean, all of a sudden there were lots and lots all over the Roman Empire were coming to know Jesus. And they were coming out of pagan backgrounds as well. Now the Gentiles, they could have been thinking this, you know, it's like, well now you're creating some kind of doubt because I thought it was grace by faith and now there's something else? It could have been this as well. We just came out of all those rituals we had to do out of paganism. You know, we know. If you remember, I mean, when Paul was in Lystra, okay, they they wanted to, there was a temple to Zeus already there. Could have all been this too. It says, you know, instead of following Christ through circumcision, like you're saying, we're following Christ through baptism. I mean, we're identifying ourselves this way as well. And then you have Peter and John, who, uh, or James, that talk too later on. And they, uh, they talk about this idea of the law of love. So I think we were, and we're going to talk about that as well. Now, let's talk about this main point. The dispute concerning circumcision. So notice it says unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them so that Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of uh, some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. And you can see in some versions, I like the way there was no small debate or no small... Dis- that means there was, a, there was a big hullabaloo that was going on. Paul and Barnabas were saying, no, it's not, you don't have to follow the law too. Because basically what they were saying is that Christianity would become a sect of Judaism. That you had to first become circumcised. You first followed the law. And then there's this belief in Jesus, right? And it's like, no, that's not like that. But it brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp debate with them. And um, so they decided that they were going to go up. They, they were and not only I thought this was important too. Some people might miss this, but it says, "Along with some other believers, I think that was important. The other witnesses went with them, too. I mean, Paul and Barnabas and others went to, to be witnesses as well, but went along as well. And they're going up to Jerusalem now. And they're having a council. Now, if you think about it, I mean, we've had, the church has had many councils over a long period of time, whether it was the Council of Nicaea, the Council at Constantinople, Chalcedon, but there were councils. And sometimes I think, I mean, it's important because there's there's whatever, a heresy that's come in, but it causes the people to come together and say, we need to wrestle with this. What does the Word of God say? And um, if you notice, that's what James did at the end. I mean, people gave their experience about what was happening. But then James says, uh, the words of the prophet are in agreement uh, with this as it is written. The authority of Scripture. Okay, so they pulled that as well. So what does the Scripture say? Now, it says uh, in verse 3, the church sent them on their way as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. Now, Phoenicia was probably that area like right along where the coast is, where Lebanon is. And there were a lot of um, Hellenistic Jews, Greeks in that area as well. And then also in Samaria, if you remember, um, Samaria is probably, oh, it's about the area of like the central part of the West Bank, somewhere in that area. Um, so you, have, you had uh, Galilee up here, you have Judea there, and then in this area was Samaria and if you remember, there were a lot of people, the Orthodox Jews, I mean, they looked down on the Samaritans. I mean, you can remember the story of the Good Samaritan when Jesus uses that. And, um, you know, they think like, well, he seems like he did what was right. But when Jesus specifically used the Samaritan because they were looked down upon by the Orthodox Jews like that. So anyways, what was going on with that is it says... Um, and then with Samaria, remember when the Assyrians came down, they took the um, the Samaritans, or the people that were there, they dispersed them and they brought others there. So some of them, they were like half Jewish, half something else, and so, but they were looked down upon, right? Well, you can imagine when the gospel's coming and Paul and Barnabas are preaching that, whether it's in Phoenicia, whether it's Samaria, whether it's in... The lower part of right here in Galatia, when they get over there, you know, and, and these pagans are hearing this. They'd never, they're not necessarily part of growing up Jewish, and there's good news. I mean, you can be saved, saved by faith through grace. Solo fide, grace, it's faith alone. And what does it say here? It says, the news made the, the brothers very glad. People are, did you know that when one sinner comes to know Christ, is there rejoicing in heaven? Yeah. There is rejoicing in heaven. And it should make all of us glad when you hear somebody that's growing in their faith. We should rejoice. When we see people that are coming to know Christ, we should rejoice. Right? That's the great secret of the Christian life is that we can have joy even in the midst of our suffering because we have something good, we have good news. We have rejoicing that we can have within our soul. Regardless of whatever circumstances that are happening, we can rejoice because God is good and God is in control. Now, it says, When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that God had done. I think that is so important right there, that God's doing the work. They they recognized they gave credit to what God was doing. I mean, it could be really easy to say... I mean, if you weren't like spiritually mindset, look at all I've done. Look at all these people that are coming to know Christ. It's not you. It's not you. No. It's Jesus that's working through you. Now, here's another big idea. This idea when you look at... What is the subject? What are they talking about? Well, you saw it in verse 2 and you see it in verse 5. It says, Then some of the bleeders who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So it comes back to that same question again. How are you saved? So what they're saying is that in order to be saved, you have to follow the law. You have to follow the law. And so they're adding to Jesus' finished work. I heard somebody say this, and this was like the greatest analogy that I could think about this particular section right now. Think about this for a second. When Jesus died on the cross, right? When Jesus died on the cross, we know that there was an earthquake, right? And we know the sky went black. But what else happened? The veil tore from top to bottom. And it wasn't like a little piece of linen either. And who tore that veil? God tore that veil. God tore that veil. And what, if you think about it, what are these Judaizers planning to do? They're trying to sew that veil back up. They're trying to sew the veil back up. And God was, are you going, and reminds me of what Gamaliel said, if you remember this, and he says, you know, leave these people alone. Because you could find yourself fighting against God. And that's actually what they were doing. They were these man-made traditions or whatever. They were trying to push that forward, right? And they thought, you know what? And you can sort of see like in their expression and their attitude, sometimes they felt that they had more knowledge or they felt like they were better than them, right? And I thought this is really an interesting Thinking right here where, um, well, Paul says uh, in verse 11, no, we believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. We, the Jews, we are saved. And then it says, just as they are, they are saved. We are saved just as they are. Well, that sort of put a little twist on it. If you were a a Jew and you were one of the Pharisees, like just as they are, they are saved? Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and continue on. In verse 6 it says, The apostles and the elders uh, met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. I think that's really important. There's a good verse. It's in uh, Proverbs 18.13. It says, He who gives an answer to him before he hears... To him it is folly and shame. I think it's good for people to share both sides. What was going on? And I'm really surprised in a way. You know, I'm just thinking about how impetuous Peter is when he is in the Gospels when you see him. But he's listening here. And then he's listening. And then it says Peter got up and he addressed them. I think it's very, very important that he was the right person at that time to stand up. Why? Well, he was a leader in the church, right? been with Jesus, but he had also already had, um, if we remember back in Acts 14, or Acts 10, where Peter and Cornelius met together. So I wanted just to touch on a few verses that I think are are paramount, are really important, as we go through this little section of Peter, because you're going to have a discussion by Peter, you're going to have a discussion by Paul and Barnabas, and then you're going to have some, a decision by James, right? So now let's take a look at this for a second. In Acts chapter 10, I want to just read some quick verses right here. It says, remember, Cornelius, it was like the three o'clock in the afternoon, there was an angel who said that Peter was in Joppa. This was like a few months ago when we went over that. And that uh, Peter was going to be coming and it was going to talk with him. Right? And we know that that Cornelius was a god-fear. Okay, now some people, uh, if you want to, if you think about this, you know the people that have been introduced so far, like Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, they had some background, right? In, uh, in Judaism, right? They had the scriptures they were looking at or whatever. And now all of a sudden, I mean, when Paul's going through this area, I mean, he's right in Lystra. I mean, there was like not a synagogue and there was paganism all around and, and they were ready to offer, uh, uh, you know, worship them as, as gods. I mean, so anyways, the first people that we see that are introduced in Acts um, were god fears, Right. But now, all of a sudden, here these people are coming to Christ and they have no background, right? So, here's what's happened. I think it's important. Cornelius was expecting them. And they called them together, and his relatives and close friends. So, we know in this instance that Peter is talking about, Cornelius and his relatives and close friends were there when Peter showed up. And then it says. Talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit them. So you can see, I mean, the, the, um, what, what, uh, Paul was, or not what, um, Peter was thinking about because in the Jewish background, it was, he couldn't really, he couldn't associate with them. But then it says this. And Paul, uh, Peter was talking with Cornelius and then in verse 43 of chapter 10 it says, And all the prophets testify about him and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name, right? And while Peter was still uh, speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now my question was, so what did, the, what did Cornelius and all the people there have to do because did they have to be circumcised or anything? Because it says the Holy Spirit came on them on all that heard the message. The circumcised believers believers had come with Peter with astonishment that the gift of the Holy Spirit that had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Right? Okay. And then... Peter and had, had was questioned by the church back then. And Peter says in uh, chapter 11, verse 17, So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And when they heard this, they had no further objections. They praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles um, repentance unto life. So that's what Peter is referring to here when he says that, And Peter got up and he addressed them, Brothers, you know the same time ago God made a choice among you and the Gentiles that might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them. He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, and this is the part, for he purified their hearts by faith. So now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Now let's talk about that for a second. So if you think about all through the Old Testament, God, of course, gave the the book of the law, Moses to the Jews. Were they able to keep the law? Well, now let's just talk, let's talk about Jeremiah. And let's talk about the reason they went into exile in the Babylon. Well, that doesn't seem like to keep the law very well. Let's just talk about the judges, right? Where it says in a couple different places that they did as they saw fit. They weren't worshiping God. They couldn't keep the law. What does the law do? The law shows us how much we need Jesus Christ. It points us to Jesus Christ. You can't keep the law. But I want to talk to you about it. And a yoke. When I lived in Honduras for a year, I had never, I mean, I'd seen like oxen in pictures. And there were little kids. I mean, they should have been in school. But there were little kids that had sticks and they were driving these oxen. They'd take the stick and just go like that. The back of the oxen was, I swear, was that high. They were huge. And they have these big yokes on them. And the way that you know those yokes are used a lot of times is you have one that's an experienced ox paired up with one that's not quite as experienced. And the inexperienced one kicks a little bit, but then he learns not to. He follows along the one that's, you know, that's leading. Now it says here that, you know, why are you able, why are you putting these yokes that neither uh, we nor our fathers can bear? Now you're asking me, why did I bring this up? Because Jesus talks about a great solution in life. He says, it's come unto me. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. The law had its place. The law showed us how much we need Christ. Right? You can't live. You can't even, even if you think about this, what does James say? I mean, James talks about uh, you can't keep the law. Paul says the same thing. You can't keep the law. Even if you break one point, you're guilty of breaking all of it. But in Christ, we have freedom. We have freedom in Christ. And it's by faith that we're saved. It's not by keeping the law, something you can't even keep. <laughs> so then it says here, we believe this, what a profound statement right here. I really admire Peter from saying this. I, Peter's come a long ways. And that just tell, helps us too. I mean, I, I know like even in my own personal life, I'm not the same person I used to be. And when Peter says this, we believe it is through grace in our Lord Jesus Christ that we're saved. Just as they are. Just as they are. Because he's talking about we and they. Just as those Gentiles are saved by faith. It's through grace. So what is Peter actually saying? He says, I agree with Paul. It's by grace. And now he's finished. He's had his chance to talk a little bit. And now, Paul and Barnabas get up. And you know what? Luke summarizes uh, chapters 13 and 14 in one verse. Because he doesn't talk. I wish that I would have been there. I wish that he would have just like expounded a little bit more on verse 12. But we have that in, you know, chapters 13 and 14. But here's what he says. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul tell about the miraculous signs and wonders... God had done. God had done. Not done. God had done among the Gentiles through them. And what were those signs and wonders? They were a confirmation of what God had said, that it's by faith, it's by faith that you're saved. Then, when they had finished, James spoke up. So James... uh, you know, he's, he seems to be the, the ruler of you know, uh, the church in Jerusalem. He's the head, it seems like, here. I mean, he's sending Peter out and whatever. He's sort of calling the shots. And he listened to everybody. My, my wife, she said something that was sort of funny. So she said, <laughs> said Joe, you got to say this. Anyways, I thought it was good. He said, you know, I was wondering about... He was called different names. He was called James the Just... He was called James the Righteous. He was called um, Camel Knees because he prayed and his knees, I guess, looked sort of gnarly from praying as much. But Shelly, she said, you know, I think it would have been hard for James to be, because this isn't the James, the brother of John. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, right? And says, I wonder how it was for James growing up in that family. I mean, I could see his mother saying, now why can't you be more like your older brother? It's like, (laughs) he's gone. Anyways, I thought that was pretty cute. So now we come to the decision. We had the dispute. We had the discussion. And now we have the decision. And it says there, James says, brothers, listen to me. Simon... They said, why did he use his name Peter? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, they call him Simon Peter, but Simon was his given name. We know it was in a Jewish setting right there, and we know. So, I don't know. He calls his name, it? it's Peter. Simon is described to us how God first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. I think that's important because the scripture that he uses, that God... In eternity past, he had in his mind the the, the salvation of all people of the, the salvation of the Jews and Gentiles alike, because notice when he quotes he says in verse seventeen that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, so Gentiles were included, and so he says, "God has showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophet are in agreement." With this, as it is written, and notice, like I said before, that he turns to the authority of scripture i 'm sure that people were good and they were glad you know hearing about okay, we have some experience that was going on, we have some confirmation with signs and wonders. What does the Bible say and I think that 's a really important principle for all of us to 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 grasp is that the importance of being in God's word and relying on God's word and God's word as authority, and James uses God's word, and he calls, he looks at Amos the prophet. He says, "After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins will rebuild, and I will restore it. And the remnant of men may seek the Lord, and and the Gentiles who bear My name," says the Lord, "who does these things." that have been known for ages. I mean, God is omniscient. He, he knows. In eternity past, He knows. This is what He had in pl- plan, and He's revealed it to us. And so he, he finishes us off with this decision. And He says, basically, it, it is by faith that you're saved. It's, you don't have to keep the Mosaic Law. But there's an important principle because notice it says in Ephesians that we're one in Christ. There's, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, but we're one. There's one faith, one baptism, one remission of sin. Can you imagine most of these rules that are talked about here are dietary rules? And if you're trying to like have fellowship and communion together, I mean, there are a lot of laws that the, that the, um, that the, the Jews held to right? But these just happen to be, how how could you actually have a meal together if you had the Gentiles practicing this, and then the Jews are being repulsed? It's like, what are you doing? You can't have, my um, grandfather came from Belgium, and I remember when he was, uh, he he passed away, he was older when um, my dad was born, he was almost 50, and so my grandpa, he lived to be 86, so I was like, um ten when he passed away, but I still remember him. You know, he spoke Flemish and he was like he was in the Belgian Calvary and he would always tell us about the good old country and whatever. But he also told us about blood pudding too. It's like I'm not really interested in blood pudding. It's like when I have a blood pudding here. But can you imagine if somebody says cuz you're not supposed to life is in the blood, right? You're not supposed to eat blood. If you're a Jew, and it's like, "What?" And it's like, "Hey, come on over. You know, I'm like the, uh, the magenta here whatever. We're going to going to have we're going to have some blood pudding." It's like, "Not interested. Not interested in that." You know? But there are others as well. You know, the other dietary laws that talked about um, abstaining food polluted by idols, because a lot of times in those pagan areas, I mean, the food that was sold in the market was first dedicated to a god, or you know. And so, Paul addresses that as as well later on. But meat that was of of strangled animals, because the blood was supposed to be drained out, right? And so, yeah, I just thought, you know, a lot of these these laws right here taken from Leviticus 17 and 18. And uh, three of them concern those dietary laws in which could inhibit like Jewish and Gentile relationships. I thought that was interesting. But one of, the, one of the important points to end with is this. is James mentions this, he calls it the royal law. And Paul calls it the law of love. So in James 2.8, it says this. James 2.8. It says, but if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, what's the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. And Paul in Romans 13 8, So here we have people that are actually at the council of Jerusalem and they're talking about this. In, in uh, Romans thirteen eight, it says this. let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love to one another love to one another so i think part of the decision was this this is what i think the decision was it's like the idea of faith and the law it's 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 faith it's it's by faith alone okay but also there's this law of love that you don't want to repulse your neighbor you want to show consideration, be sort of sensitive. Can you imagine, like, I, if I go down to go to another culture, which, you know, Isaac and I are both thinking about doing, and we, we want to be able to, like, form relationships, be able to share God's message, but we're doing something that is so re- a, repulsive and hated by the other group, it's like they will not even want to have anything to do with you, right? And so there's this idea of the law of love that was talked about here. So I want to end with uh, this thought. So we know that faith is a victory. And we're going to sing that song as well because that's where the victory comes. Victory's in Jesus and it's through faith. But I want you to think about this. In verse 4, it says, They reported everything God had done through them, and the great commission God desires to use is this great plan of redemption for the lost. Notice it's co-mission. It's a mission, but it's co. In Spanish, the word con means with. It's mission with. And I want you to think about this. We talked about this in Sunday school, um, about going mad, and this idea of like when Pharaoh had a dream of the seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, this idea of, I think of the fat of the lamb, but I tried to think of a way to remember this so he can remember this acronym, okay? I think when we go out into the world, we need to go mad, make a difference. But also I think it's important to this idea of, of fat in the fat of the lamb, healthy... Faithfulness, God's looking for faithful people, available people, and teachable people. I want to say that again. He's looking for us. He wants us to go mad. He wants us to make a difference in the world, right? To be other-centered and not centered on ourselves. But he wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be available. And he wants us to be teachable. I still have a verse that I want you to memorize. So this is your homework. It's in Colossians 4.12. And there's a guy, his name is Epaphras, who was a leader in the church of Colossae. I have this verse memorized and I like it a lot because it helps me to think about the idea of standing firm in your faith. It says, Epaphras is one of you and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, is always wrestling in prayer for you that you do these three things. You stand firm in all the will of God. You become mature. And you're fully assured that God will do what he says he's done. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, Mature and fully assured. That's the verse I'd like for you to to memorize this week. Because I want you to stand firm on Christ. Stand firm on the Bible. I mean, when these men came down to Judea and they were teaching these things, I mean, Paul and Barnabas, they stood firm. It's by grace and grace alone. And that's my, my thought for you this morning is that faith is a victory. The people that... The idea that they wanted to know, how is a person saved? You're saved by faith, through grace. It's by grace, through faith in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the stories in the Bible. And thank you, Lord, for the encouragement and the work that you were doing through Peter and how you changed him and how Paul and how you changed him. And Lord, how you changed James. I remember how he was at the beginning, too, as well. You change us. You're in the, you're in the business of, of changing hearts and minds. Lord, help us to be uh, more like Christ, to be changed into the image of Christ. This I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.